When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to share a review from Apple Podcasts with you. Kay Dorr said, really enjoyed this. Great, clear audio quality, and the host has a pleasant voice. Thank you. Covered information about queries that I don't come across often. Most shows go over query problems, but it's good to hear one that succeeded and the whole process after that step. Definitely subscribing for more. Thank you so much for your kind comments, Kay, and for subscribing. I think that like having the publishing industry reflect the world at large would do the publishing industry so much more good. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please leave a review on your podcast app or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, we're going to be talking to Catherine Adele West. Catherine was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, where she currently resides. Her debut, Saving Ruby King, was published in 2020. Catherine's short story, Orion's Star, is featured in the Body Positive anthology, Every Body Shines, out now. Her sophomore novel, Becoming Sarah King, is slated for release in 2022. So please welcome Catherine to the show. Hello. Hi, how are you, Sarah? I'm all right. So we mentioned that there's a storm rolling in. So if you hear any thunder in the background, that's what's (laughs) going on. So we're going to kind of go all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I've always been interested in writing ever since I was a child. I would write little stories here and there. The problem is being able to commoditize a passion. So what I wound up doing was, you know, going to school for journalism and then became an editor. I wrote short stories here and there in my early 30s, but then by 32, I started to get real serious about it. Spoke with a friend about an idea for a short story I was having, and she was like, oh, that should be a book, and you should make that a book. And, you know, my my silly behind was just like, how hard can it be? I have two degrees in journalism. I can write a book. It'll be easy. And I really set myself up. <laughs> Because writing a book, anybody who's ever tried to write a book knows it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. hard. It's, you know, it's hard. <laughs> and the first few pages of that novel were horrible. Like, I still keep the first few pages of Saving Ruby King. It was originally titled Potter's Will, but I keep those first few pages. So always keep me humble. So no matter where I go in terms of success, you know, which, you know, I'm praying will be very far, I will always have those pages to remind me you came a long way. Like, this is what you used to do. <laughs> so, like I said, I was 32 when I started writing Saving Ruby King. It took me five years to finish it because I, I have a full-time job. So I would write on and off and on and off and on and off. And finally, I got tired of thinking about 
getting published and was just like, you know what? I'm not going to get published if, if I don't finish this. I think I wrote the last like 7,000 words in like two, three days because I just got <laughs> tired of thinking about what if. Mm-hmm. And then made the mistake of thinking, I can just go ahead and query this now. Like I finished the book and let me go ahead and query. Not realizing and recognizing all the work that really needed to be done. Because I thought, because I had put so much time and effort into it, that the first draft was like the last one. And I'm when I look back at it now, it was a rough, like R-U-F-F, <laughs> rough draft. Because I didn't know what it really, like, I didn't know what pacing was and... You know, I struggled with like character arc and I, I had like a lot of things that I had to, to juggle. So I spent nine months querying and a lot of, you know, and, and I'm not going to get ready to complain about my TR being cricket because nine months querying on your first book is nothing short of a miracle. OK, but I was just like, well, this is taking forever. What are we going to find? An agent? <laughs> I believe in this book. Why doesn't anybody believe in this book? An agent who I got really, really close to um, finding representation with did a revise and uh, resubmit. And in the end, she still didn't take me on. And I was like super heartbroken about it. But the advice that she gave me ganged my agent, Beth Marche of Latterbird Literary. I started querying in September of 2017. And I signed with Beth, I want to say June or July of 2018. So you mentioned to me before we started recording that your mother was an English teacher. Did she kind of have any impact on how you were writing at such a young age and your interest in literature? Well, my mom is a retired principal, actually, and she simultaneously taught English literature. I think your parents always have an influence on you, no matter if that happens to be there you know, their job or, or not. I just like to write. It didn't really have anything to do with my mom. I love to read because of her and that was encouraged. You know, after speaking with family, I found out that my great grandma, who my mom was named after, was a writer. She loved to write and she would write for various politicians and being a black woman in like the 20s, 30s, 40s, that was kind of, it was, that was pretty singular. It's really nice to kind of know where I got this spark from. Uh, eventually. I can just say that my mom is very supportive and she was never one of those parents who was just like, you're never going to make money doing this. I don't know why you're doing this. Writing is stupid. Like, no, she was just like, follow your dreams. But we ain't getting ready to like pay for you to like sit on your behind. (laughs) My parents do not read at all. And I grew up with no books in the house. So I'm always interested to learn about how other people have, like how they grew up around books and that kind of thing. My brother is He's an artist, like a physical like artist, and I'm a writer. So we're just really, like my mom got <laughs> dealt with two creatives and all of our moods and everything that comes with that. But she was always heavy like into books and education because my grandmother was, because my grandma wasn't able to finish high school, right? Mm-hmm. So education was a huge thing and is a huge thing in my family. Like most of my family are teachers. So reading, history, these are things that are very important you know, in my family and things that we continue, you know, to pursue. I just happen to be the writer of the group. All right. Can you tell us a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be specifically a published author, that you knew that you wanted your book to be published and on bookshelves? I think the moment that I realized that I was probably sitting in a cubicle (laughs) 
and working on my story like during lunchtime and thinking I'm putting all of this work into this story this better damn well pay off like I need to figure out how and why and when and what can I do after I finish this book the thing is where I work there are a lot of other writers and a couple of them happen to be agented and they really really helped me in terms of figuring out this um, one of my friends in particular Kevin Savoy really helped me figure out like what is a query letter how do you go about finding an agent what agent is for you like I, I didn't know a query from a hole in the wall I didn't know what that was I knew when I was writing the book that I needed some sort of payoff to it other than just saying I wrote a book and not having kind of like a physical representation of all of my hard work so once I figured out that I wanted to be a published author, you know, I had to seek out those resources and figure things out for myself and Google. And That's great because that's actually the next question. So once you decided you wanted to be a published author, how did you go about learning about the industry, how to query, all these different things? Having to navigate the industry, it changes, especially when you're, when you're Black, if you're a person of color, having to navigate the industry is a lot different if, you know, you're, you're white. I, there were some things that Kevin could help me with, and then there were some things that I had to figure out how to navigate myself. The thing is, when you have a writing community, like the writing community on Twitter was kind of, was pretty big for me, and finding other writers and authors of color, that helped me kind of navigate the pitfalls. You know, the, the agents who were, you know, schmagents, and, you know, just trying to figure out, like, who would be the best fit for me and kind of how to go about finding and and realizing my dream of being a published author. So I did a lot of that. I Google, once again, was my best friend. And then I would, you know, take feedback from, you know, different writers and writer friends about like my query letter and then, you know, try not to get two of my emotions if something didn't work. So you talked about up until you got your agent, what happened after that point? What was the process like between then and signing your first book contract? It was relatively painless, believe it or not. The agent who ended up passing, once again, super sweetheart of a person who ended up passing, I had pitched during DV Pit, which is um, a pitch for, you know, uh, authors for marginalized backgrounds. And now I can kind of tell this story uh, without being too ashamed of it. But what happened was, I pitched a DV pit and my story was pretty much finished. Like the re revise and submit, it was like pretty much done, but not like fully, fully done. <laughs> you couldn't have sent it to an agent who requested that night is what you're saying. So what had happened was, <laughs> so put it, put it like this, put it like this. Like it was like 90% done, right? Like I just got to finish the last chapter of the epilogue mm. and we know that a lot of agents take like forever to get back to, to you know, to, to people, you know, and it, not all of them, but some of them will, you know, take a minute to get back and, you know, they just want the first few chapters and the synopsis and the query. So uh, on Thursday, which is like, uh, no, Friday, the, the day after I had pitched, an agent was like, this is great. Uh, please send me the full. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, what have I done? That's why anytime like somebody asks me, I always tell them, make sure your manuscript is finished. 
<laughs> do it. Because I spent my entire weekend having to write like 8,000 words <laughs> because I was just like, oh, I'm practically done and it'll be fine. And by the time I get requests, I'll be done. Mm-hmm. Nope. And so my <laughs> my weekend was just gone. Like it was gone. But I finished it and then I sent it to her that Monday, which is an adequate like amount of time. And at that point, I was starting to get requests in for fools like that next week. So I was just like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then, you know, one of them was from Beth Marche. I also sent it to the agent who asked me for the revise and resubmit. And I know I'm taking a long time to, to answer your question, but she said no on Thursday. And I was devastated and heartbroken. And she was just like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And I was like, I rewrote this whole thing for you. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Thanks, but no thanks. And so I was devastated. Like on Thursday, like my whole weekend, I was just like, the flowers have died. There is no morning dew. Like I was just <laughs> so depressed. And then that Monday at 1130, 2 a.m. Central Time, I get an email from Beth Marche, and it was super short, and I thought it was another rejection. Reading is fundamental. <laughs> and she was just like, I just finished this. I'd be crazy not to throw my hat into the ring. The rest is kind of history there. After I signed the contract, we went through one round of edits because she kind of felt that the story in and of itself was relatively finished. And it took me like three months or so to complete them. That was in July. I gave her the edits in October. By November, I went on submission, like the end of November, like right around Thanksgiving. And then January 16th of 2019, I'm riding home on a bus. She calls me and I'm like, hello. <laughs> and she tells me that Park Row decided to acquire my book. Yay. And I screamed on a bus and I scared a little, I mean, I scared this little boy. <laughs> it was a happy scream, but like, if you're two, you don't know what a happy scream is. <laughs> so I talked to Beth and then I called my mom. There was some back and forth because there was like another possible interested publishing firm, but you know, publishing um, house, but that ended up like not working out. And I wanted to work with Parklow anyway. So it was, it was essentially like really a match made in heaven. And I knew from the first time Laura and I talked because getting an editor is a lot like, you know, getting an agent, like be called. It happens twice with your agent and then with the editor that who's going to be editing your book. And I knew from when we started talking, like she was, she and I were going to like be like <laughs> two peas in a pod. Like she's, she's so wonderful. And she always seems to know like what the book needs to take it to the next level, which of course makes an awesome editor. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Faith, family, secrets. Everything in this world comes full circle. Layla Potter and Ruby King find the strained bonds of their adopted sisterhood further tested when Ruby's mother, Alice, is murdered on Chicago's South Side. Pastor Jackson Potter Sr. is unwilling to acknowledge what his daughter, Layla, already knows in her heart to be true. The answer to Alice's murder lies with Ruby's father and Jackson's lifelong friend, Lebanon King. Feeling trapped and devastated, Ruby wonders if the best way to escape her father, a man whose hatred for his family always simmers close to the surface, 
It's to end her own life. She's tried it once. Maybe this time she'll succeed. But when she discovers a mysterious envelope in a drawer of her murdered mother's craft room, Ruby must decide if the contents are enough to start a new life or end hers. In a relentless quest to save Ruby, Layla comes to discover the murky loyalties and dark secrets tying their families together for generations. Secrets that may destroy everything and everyone in her life she holds dear. A crucial pilgrimage through the complex landscape of Chicago, a story of family, religion, race, and redemption. Saving Ruby King is a testament history doesn't determine the present and the bonds of friendship can forever shape the future. Completed 90,000 words, Saving Ruby King is a vivid multi-generational non-linear narrative reminiscent of literary fiction such as 12 Tribes of Hattie, Homegoing, and A Kind of Freedom. I'm a writer slash editor living on the south side of Chicago. My work is published in Black Box Literary Magazine, 5 to 1, Better Than Starbucks, Doors Ajar, 805 Lit Plus Art, The Helix Magazine, and Lunch Ticket. Upcoming credits include Catterskill Basin Literary Journal. Thank you. No problem. I know Black Fox because I know Raquel. <laughs> yeah, Raquel's awesome. Yeah. My first writing credit is thanks to Raquel. She oh, always, nice. like, if she ever asks me to do anything, I promise you I will do it for her. Since you originally got your agent's attention through DV Pit, do you have that original pitch? Okay, this is the tweet. Big Little Lies and 12 Tribes of Hattie meet Southside Chicago. Murder, secrets, and racial disparity affect three generations of a Black family inside and outside the walls of a Southside Chicago church. Um, hashtag DV Pit, literary thriller, own POC, and A for adult fiction. And, uh, you know, of course, I didn't write Chicago. I just had to write like CHI <laughs> for shy, but everybody knows what that means. <laughs> That's so good. I would have hit like on that too. <laughs> Yeah, and it turns out that Big Little Lies uh, is one of Beth's like favorite books. Or, oh, you know, yeah. Beth, yeah, so nice. Big Little Lies covered a lot of similar territory saving Ruby King um, in terms of you know issues of generational trauma, domestic violence, and things of that nature. But you know, my book is like blackity black, 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 <laughs> and uh, has like church, and then that's like you know the twelve tribes of Hattie because like it's multi saving Ruby King is multi POV. So you had the structure of one, and that's the thing when, you're, when it comes to pictures. Your book doesn't have to exactly match it. If it has like the same general themes and art, you can use that book. Yeah, you, you know, some people get caught up when it comes to figuring out like comps. And I always try to tell people like, when it comes to comps, you're never gonna find a book that's, well, I hope you don't find a book that's exactly like yours, right? Mm-hmm. You find a book that has some kind of similar art or characters or, themes and you use that book, you know? Yeah. So how has your experience been since signing your book contract, especially did you have any surprises along the way? Yeah, COVID-19. That was a huge freaking surprise. (laughs) That was a surprise that I wasn't expecting. But I think that, you know, a lot of authors, myself included, adapted perfectly, you know, as well as we could under the circumstances. I get so tired, though, of people being like, oh, you're not in 2020? Hmm." Like, I don't know what you're feeling. Sorry for me. How many books you got published? Like, like I was happy with my experience. I met a lot of awesome people. And the thing is, Saving Ruby King came out not only during COVID-19, but a period of civil unrest. And as a result, 
a lot of people were buying African-American books, books written by African-American authors. Now, what you did with those books, I hope you learn from them and you don't just have them on your table as come some kind of like fake woke, you know, altar to just be like, look at me, I'm a great person. Look at these black books I didn't read. It came at a time where it was beneficial in terms of me being able to talk to a lot of people about the things in my book and why they're relevant. Like I started writing the book in 2012 and didn't get published till 2020. And we're still having the same issues, Mm -hmm. you know, 2012, 2002, 1952, like 1902, same things African-Americans have been dealing with. It really did help me bring to light to a broader range of people the issues African-Americans deal with on a daily basis in terms of police, police brutality. And then when it came to COVID and, you know, not being able to travel and go out, you had Zoom. Zoom fatigue can be real, absolutely. But I wouldn't have been able to travel to Texas, Louisiana, Florida, California, New York. Like I wouldn't have been able to go to though like I I didn't get a million dollar contract. So so they wouldn't be sending me all of these places. So like I got to talk to still and reach all of these people. I think that 2020 definitely had its challenges, but the way that we were able to overcome them actually forged a new way into us being able to attain new readers and touch new readers. So, I mean, it sucked, but, you know, it definitely had its benefit in terms of the fact that we had to be way more ingenuous in how to attain new readership. This next round is the quick round. I call it author DNA. Uh, It's just kind of classifications that we put authors in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Pantser with the first one. I had to plot the second one. Do you tend to be more of an overwriter or an underwriter? I always think I'm going to underwrite, but I always end up overwriting. (laughs) Do you like to write in the morning or at night more? I write when I can. I have to be scheduled. So I write in the afternoon to the evening. Whenever you come up with a new story, do you usually come up with the character or plot or concept or something else first? Names come first, plot characters and everything else come second, but the names come first. Interesting. Do you prefer coffee or tea? I really don't drink either, but um, coffee, if, if you got it. <laughs> Starbucks, dessert coffee, a whole bunch of sugar. Yeah. Whenever you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? It depends on what part of the writing process. Normally, I prefer music. But when I'm writing, it has to be super moody music. When I'm editing, like quick line copy edits, it's a lot more bouncy, top 40 type music. So we know it took you five years to write that first book. But in general, with the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or get it right kind of person? Oh, I'm going to get it right. Get it perfect. Get it as perfect as you can. That's why it took me five years. (laughs) What tools or software do you use to draft? I just use Microsoft Word. And email. Like if, if I have an idea, I like email it to myself so I don't forget it. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? I say drafting. Revising always gives me a little great anxiety. Drafting, I have more control. Revisions, there's a set of expectations that are to be met. And I don't really like meeting anybody's expectations but my own. So I always have like some kind of low grade anxiety when it comes to revision. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? 
I got to write in sequential order. I can't, I can't hop around. Like I'll screw everything up. If I, I, my mind doesn't work like that. Yeah. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Girl, you can't tell. (laughs) Super extroverted. Some people fake it well. Super extroverted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no. um, uh, I'm what you call, I I call myself socially misanthropic, right? So (laughs) the whole COVID thing, I had no problem not being around people. I was super fine with it. Like, I don't care. I don't need to be around people like really other than my family and my friends. Um, But if you put me in a setting and they're like a bunch of strangers, I'm going to have like 10 friends by the end of the night. So I'm socially misanthropic. Like, I don't care about being around people. But when I'm around people, like you obviously can't get me to shut up. (laughs) All right. So the show is called Queries, Qualms and Quirks. You already read your query for us. And now it's time to talk about the second cue. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey to publication? And did you overcome them or, you know, what happened with the worries that you had? My qualms were, as I said, navigating the publishing industry as a black woman, not having people who look like you help you. That's not to say that my agent and my editor weren't great advocates. They were. They're awesome. I love them. But I always feel like I I would have loved the opportunity to work with a Black editor. I still desire to work with a Black editor. My agent is staying my agent. (laughs) Um, But I think for me, the qualm is the lack of diversity in the publishing industry. It's something that they always say they're going to fix, but they're not fixing it fast enough for me, personally. Mm -hmm. And the stories that you wind up missing or the stories that you end up hyping that end up being like, clusterfucks because you didn't have people of color around to say yeah so american dirt this is gonna be a bad idea that might not be a good look you know what i mean like these these huge issues we wind up having with white writers writing black voices and and you're just like this is a caricature at best of what we are you know what i mean like we need a diverse group of people, African-Americans, indigenous Americans, Latinx, Asian, like we need a lot of different people. And I think once we have that great mix that reflects the literary landscape, because there's like this, I don't know, some kind of latent racism that you, you know, like people of color, like don't read or something like, what did I just tell you about my mom? Like we didn't do anything but read in my home. So I I think that like having the publishing industry reflect the world at large will do the publishing industry so much more good. And there won't be so many of these controversies because you would have people that kind of just say, hey, hold hold up, wait a minute. Let's think about how we approach this. So that was one of the qualms that I have in terms of overcoming them. Obviously, they have it. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm still going to have to fight like in terms of even things like, you know, marketing, it's just like, you know, black book bloggers, Latinx, they're like totally left out sometimes when you're thinking about who to market or, or who to send arcs to, right? Like I have to find a list of black book bloggers and then give them to the publisher because like, I don't think that they have that. And that shouldn't be, mm-hmm. right? Like there should, you know, be like a list there for every different type, but there there isn't. So I think my qualm was just like, it was definitely like the lack of diversity and how like, I had to navigate it when I felt like there should have already been things laid out. Yeah. 
Uh, it's something that we've been talking a lot on my YouTube shows, Pump Talk Live and Agent Chat Live, because we talk a lot more about the industry there and how just the way that most of publishing set up doesn't allow for a diverse group of people to enter it because you have to Cost. work way under the poverty level for years mm-hmm. uh, or work for free in one of the most expensive cities in the in world. The world. I always marvel at like, you have the money to spend a million dollars on a book. You mean you can't tell me you can't rent out some apartment mm. for, you know, struggling agents or editors mm-hmm. to like, you know, and have them rent under, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, okay, so just like pay $500 yeah. as a stipend, you know, and we'll cover the rest. Disney does it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like there are programs that they can read. Hey, make it more remote. Yeah. I can work for you, but like I can work for you in Cincinnati where the cost of Living is like way cheaper for me. Mm-hmm. There are programs that I feel like can be put in place, but either you don't want to or you don't want to because, I mean, I'm sure these things have been suggested before. I'm just not too sure what's becoming of them, if, you know, they will ever, I mean, because as you said, cost is a huge factor. And what did I just tell you? Like, you know, I want to be a full-time writer, but like, this is not rent. I'm not going to sit in like an apartment with no heat, no electricity <laughs> to follow my dream. Yeah. I'm not built for that. Like nobody should do. Yeah, we could we could probably talk about this for like an hour, but I'm gonna go back to <laughs> <laughs> the QQQ format. So now we're gonna talk about that third Q. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? If I use a word too much in my book. I will search for it and then exit out and find like another word to use or another phrase Mm -hmm. because I don't want my writing to sound redundant. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned before, I come up with names first before I think of plot, character, whatever. I just, I come up with cool sounding names and then build the personalities around the name and then build the story around the personalities. So I work in a kind of backwards way, I, I think. Because some people will just be like, plot, character arc, names later. You know what I mean? But like for me, a name is like, it, it's huge. Your name is your identity. And what does that entail? And so I take the name and then, like I said, and then I build around the name. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> when you were in the kind of lowest part of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? What if? What if this was going to be the one time that I was going to find the agent, but I decided not to do the query because I felt like I wasn't going to be able to take it anymore, the rejection. Mm. What if, right? And then plus, like, I'm Black in America. Really? I'm going to let a a rejection letter throw me off my game to the point where I'm going to quit? We weren't allowed to read at a point. It was illegal. (laughs) But I'm going to get in my emotions about a rejection letter. Mm. No, hell no. So, you know, cry for five minutes, eat some ice cream, pick yourself off the floor and just try again, you know, because eventually it's going to come through. The lowest point that I was at was that Thursday when that agent said, no, thank you, but no. That's what the whole weekend, the flowers have died. There is no <laughs> more good. And then what happened on Monday I got better. Yeah. Right? So 
it is so cliched and we've heard it a million times, but I promise you it is always darkest before the dawn. It really is. Because if you just told me on Thursday, I would have an agent offer by Monday and then another agent offer by that next Friday. I would have been like, how, when? Can you please bring Henry Cavill or Trevante Rose or all the fogs <laughs> to my door? Since you know all of this, help me figure this out. Yeah. I've interviewed several authors where their low point has been literally days before, you know, they got an agent or a publishing deal or whatever. So definitely for sure. Do you have any mistakes that you made along the way that you maybe want to warn listeners about so that they don't make the same ones? Oh, Jesus. I made so many mistakes in my life. But um, in terms of publishing, I think I didn't advocate for myself in the beginning as much, especially when I got my publishing contract, because I was just afraid of stepping on toes. I don't give a damn now. Like, I don't care. <laughs> There's a way for you to advocate yourself and not be an a-hole about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you go in, you're, just like, you're so grateful to have a publishing contract that you feel like you almost have to take what's given to you. Mm-hmm. And you don't. Yeah. If there's something you're not feeling, talk about it once again, respectfully. But just be like, hey, this is kind of what I'm feeling. Or, you know, talk to your agent and have them intercede, you know, on your behalf. But I think for me, my mistake was that I wasn't advocating for myself as much in the beginning. And now I'm completely comfortable with advocating for myself now. Now I'm like very comfortable with my editor. She knows me. I know her. So if I'm not vibing with something, I can just be like, hey, yeah, so like this, I wasn't really vibing with this thing. So like, can you either help me understand why I should vibe with it or can we find something different to vibe with? Be grateful that you have a publishing contract, but don't think that because you have that, that you have to take any and everything because you don't. Yeah, that's great advice. Do you have any other lessons that you learned along the way that you want to share with listeners? Savor every moment, mm. even the bad ones, <laughs> because they're all teachable you're going to learn something. And I'm still learning this. Try not to hold on to bitterness. You know, if you see somebody got something that you didn't get or you didn't receive, it sucks and you're pissed off, right? But you being continually pissed off about it, so there's nothing and no one, and it will block your chi. It will straight up block your creative process, at least for me. Like, you know, you become creatively, what I call creatively constipated. (laughs) And you just can't, like, you're just like, why isn't this vibe? You know, because you're like, you're holding on to stuff that you don't really need to help, like stuff that's petty that you don't need to hold on to. There's room for so many of us at the table. I think the problem is, or with myself, I am super competitive. I am an A-type Aries that has an ignorant competitive streak. Like, I am the worst of all possible scenarios. And so I have to learn, and I'm learning how to curb that about myself. And sometimes I'm successful Many times I'm not, but the whole point is to like keep trying. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, yeah. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. You mentioned some of them, your coworker and Raquel, which I don't know if that's actually going to be in the recorded (laughs) section or not, but who are the people who helped you along the way and how? Oh my God. So yeah. So Kevin Savoy, uh, he helped me figure out the the publishing game. (laughs) what a query was, how to, to, to figure out how to navigate that landscape. I don't think I would have gotten nearly as far if it wasn't for him. My boy, Brandon and Andrew, they, they read my book 
And if it wasn't for them and their feedback, I, you know, Kevin also wrote my book too, but like, if it wasn't for, for that feedback, I don't know if I would have been able to really, you know, have the same kind of outcome in terms of my character arc and everything like that had it not been for them. My brother, Gerald West Jr., who uh, did the family tree at the beginning of Saving Ruby King, he designed, Ruby King, he designed it. Mm-hmm. My mom, because like, she's awesome and she always supports me and listens to me and like, pats me on my back and you know when she needs it and my brother kicks me in my butt when I need it (laughs) my dad because like he fixes things around my house if they break that's good and that helps me as a writer so I'm not creatively constipated with household duty (laughs) I said duty anyway um (laughs) and then the people who aren't here like my my grandma she's the one who one of the people you know gave me that grit and determination to, to even, you know, when things aren't looking that bleak to like press, keep moving forward. And then my, my girls, Lane, Andrea and um, Taj, you know, I can always bounce ideas off of them. I love those girls to death. And if I forgot anybody, I'm sorry. Once I get my Emmy, my Tony, my Grammy and my Oscar, <laughs> I'll be a lot better at it. I'll have like a list of people. It'll be fine. Well, you have acknowledgments in your book, which you had more time to refine. So yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we heard all about Saving Ruby King. Can you tell us about some of the other projects that have just released or you have coming up? Yeah. So I have a book that you mentioned earlier or a story in the book called Everybody Shines. It's a YA body positive anthology edited by uh, Cassandra Newbold. Um, My story is called Orion Star. Um, I had a wonderful time writing this story. This story I pantsed and I had a wonderful time writing it. You know, the whole thing with body positivity is something that's sorely needed in books, especially like YA. It was the first time I wrote YA and I'm, I'm happy that I did not suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody Shines comes out on June 11th. So I'm very, very excited for that. Um, my next project is Becoming Sarah King. It's a prequel to my debut novel, Saving Ruby King. And this follows Sarah, one of the characters in the book, as she navigates her way through 1960s Memphis, um, finding family and love along the way. But will these things that she finds be able to pull her through some of the toughest times she'll experience down there? So it was wonderful to get to explore that character again. It was so much fun. And I literally just handed in the, the, the draft of Becoming Sarah King to my editor today. So I am super in my emotions right now. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. And that didn't take me five years to write. It took me five months. (laughs) But when you have an advance and a deadline, crazy things can happen. It does help. (laughs) I know, right? Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with my listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It was a blast. I had a really good time. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Catherine's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.
If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but it is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.